It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. So you've probably attended multiple personal growth seminars and probably have read lots of books about manifesting change and creating success in your life. Maybe you've even studied specific techniques to help you release blocks and get yourself unstuck. But you still haven't seen the result you've been hoping for. If you're going to create an authentic life, a life that is yours, you've got to start with knowing who you are and what you need to do to get started living the story you were born to live. Today's special guest, Karen Curry Parker, is the founder and creator of the Human Design for Everyone training system and the Quantum Alignment System. Karen has been speaking, coaching, training, and podcasting for almost 30 years, building several successful businesses and touching close to 100,000 lives around the world in the process. Her work has been featured on Fox News, Bloomberg, Business Work, CBS and ABC, as well as various radio shows and telesummits. And she is currently pursuing her PhD in integrative health at Quantum University. Good morning, Karen, and welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. Good morning, Randy. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. So, okay, what is quantum human design? Yes. <laughs> Let's just start with that. <laughs> okay, we have, how long do we have? Um, so, so, all right, so this is actually going to be a long story, but it's, I okay. think it's a, really be- it's a really powerful story because I think as I, as I share the story, it's going kind to of, kind of pull in, and, and you've been doing this for a long time, it's going to kind of pull in the whole history, if you will, of at least modern personal growth and development. Perfect. So the, there are a, quantum human design and the quantum alignment system is an integrated approach to helping people craft for themselves their own personal story. Part of why this is so important is because when we are able to take back control or agency, over the space between stimulus and response, we then regain our capacity to live as the creators that we're designed to. So for us to gain control over that story, the thing we have to do first and foremost is we have to know what's in that story in the first place and where did our old story come from and if that story that we're living from isn't really producing the results that we want to be experiencing in our lives, how do we change that story so that it becomes the true story of who we really are? Human design is a, it's a relatively new modality. It's a modality that is a synthesis of Eastern and Western astrology, the Chinese I Ching, the Hindu chakra system, Judaic Kabbalah, and quantum physics. So it's kind of this, this tool of personality assessment that's a synthesis of what I like to call ancient and modern archetypes. 
it's really a great tool for helping people understand their story. Basically what happens is at the moment of your birth, there are a set of archetypes that are kind of locked into the story of who you are. Now, in astrology, we have, you know, astrological signs, we have the houses and all those kinds of archetypes. Human design kind of takes it a step further. And part of what human design does is it doesn't just tell you what archetypes are sort of part of your soul curriculum in this lifetime so that you can use these archetypes as part of your growth and your expansion and the fulfillment of your potential. It also shows you how you interface with energy. So it's basically a map, if you will, for how you experience the world. It tells you where you take energy and information in, so it shows you if you're empathic, how are you empathic, what kinds of energies do you take in, what kind of energies do you experience. It also tells you what kind of energies you're here to put out into the world. And most importantly, part of what it teaches you is how do you make good and strong and effective decisions, which is, of course, I think probably one of the biggest skills we need to have, right? If, you know, the, the place where you are in your life right now is the sum total of every choice you've ever made. And if you want to go in a different direction, you've got to know how to make more effective choices that take you in the direction that you're headed. So that's part one, human design. Now, part two of the story says, uh, goes like this. I was an accidental student of human design in early 2000. And I say accidental kind of jokingly because it really what it means is that through a series of very interesting serendipitous events, I kind of just, I kind of fell into human design and found myself with my family in Sedona, Arizona, where the headquarters for human design was and had a really extraordinary opportunity to learn from the founder of human design who passed in 2011. Now, my background is in nursing and life coaching. I was actually one of the very first life coaches trained by Thomas Leonard uh, in the mid-1990s. Um, and, uh, you know, I brought into human design more of a therapeutic mindset. How do you use, and it didn't matter if it had been human design or whatever, I was trained to really look at how do we bring people into a more expanded expression of who they are? How do we help people unleash and unlock their potential. Traditional human design, which is what I was working with and learning from, was a really great tool to help people shatter their old stories, shatter the stories that they had learned that weren't necessarily true, all those stories that tell us what we should do or who we should be, all those stories that oftentimes, and many of us carry these stories, that cause us to play smaller than who we really are causes to limit ourselves and hold back instead of stepping in the fulfillment of our potential. What I did with human design after about five years of working with traditional human design is I started to look at how can I transform this system and turn it into something that gives people more of a runway to grow into, if you will. How can I change the language so that we're not only talking about who you're not, which is an important part of the growth process, right? You have to know where you are to, in order to, to start, but you also have to have a point B on your map. You have to also know who are you here to become. And so over the course of my work with human design in the last 22 years, I rewrote all the language in the human design system, and we call that quantum human design. It's a little bit different than traditional human design, although it's based in traditional human design. In conjunction with that, I'm also an energy psychology practitioner. I 
studied EFT in 2000, at the very beginning, when EFT, the emotional freedom techniques or the tapping, uh, first landed on the scene. And I integrated that into quantum human design and basically created a, a beautiful integrated system of coaching people that works not only on a cognitive level, but works on a psycho-spiritual level and on an energetic level that helps people break away from the old stories, figure out who they're not, and step into an expanded version, an expanded narrative story of who they are. And that's, that's actually what I'm working on with my PhD research, is I'm looking at the impact of language, and specifically high-frequency language, and how high-frequency language can actually shift us on a genetic level and help us step into higher expressions of well-being. That's that's a very you know it, it, that's a a very very short Crude. summary of, of your question. <laughs> yeah. so. Okay, okay. Well, it may be short, but it really is exciting. So, <laughs> so if someone were to come to you and say, "I want." to have you chart out my quantum human design. What would you be doing? Well, it's pretty simple nowadays. In the beginning, we used to do this all by hand. (laughs) Nowadays, we have computer programs. So basically, it's just like with astrology. You need your birthday, your birth time, and your birthplace. And you spit it into a, you know, you put it into a computer program, and it spits out a chart. The chart itself looks kind of like, it's a, tri- it's a triangle. It has nine geometric shapes in it. In between those shapes, there's all kinds of lines and channels. And it's really just a blueprint of how you're hardwired. And what kind of things would you be asking to create that map? Well, you need birthday, birth mm-hmm. time, and birthplace. That's all you need. And that's, so and that's it. it. It's, okay. That's it. Okay, so just like astrology, then it then it maps out, you know, who you are based on that timestamp of when you came into this world, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay, so how does it include um, I Ching and Kabbalah and chakra system and quantum physics? So once you have that information, is that when you begin to um, put together this synthesis of these? different modalities and order or, or philosophies or theories or whatever it is um, to begin to help the person realize their full potential or am I, or can you explain that better? Totally. So the chart itself is really where the synthesis happens. So really in the, in the, if I gave you a reading, I wouldn't be saying, Oh, and from the Chinese teaching this and from the chakra system that, but but in the in the actual chart itself, there are elements from all of those systems. So if you look at the chart, imagine, if you will, for a moment, a, a triangle, because the chart is, is, is triangular shaped. Inside of that triangle, there are nine other geometric shapes. Those nine shapes are called the centers in human design. Each center correlates loosely to the, to the seven chakras from the Hindu chakra system. Those centers, just like with the Hindu chakra system, are responsible for processing different core archetypal energies. So we have, just like we do in the Hindu chakra system, for example, we have a root center, which correlates loosely to the root chakra, and 
the archetypes regulated by that root center are very similar to the archetypes regulated by the root chakra. So it's safety, security, your grounding, what you know, how you're how you're anchored into the earth. Those those uh, core archetypes are located in that particular part of the chart. And how your root center is configured, and everybody's is going to be configured a little bit differently, how that center is configured in your chart is going to tell you a lot about what do you need to feel grounded, what do you need to feel, uh, to, to feel safe and secure in the world. The, in between those nine, those nine centers, there are channels or lines those channels and lines correlate loosely to the uh, the tree of life from the Judaic Kabbalah. Not it's not going to so basically these lines and channels show us the interface between the different centers or how you can how how these archetypal themes are going to play out in your decision making ability. Again, all of this is going to be different depending on how you're configured by your unique chart. So. Your chart will show you how you how you actually process and move energy. The uh, inside of the chart itself, there are what we call 64 gates. Those 64 gates correlate directly to the 64 hexagrams from the Chinese I Ching. Those 64 hexagrams again I, I embody core archetypes and how they are colored in or configured in your unique chart will tell you which one of those core archetypes are, or which ones, because there's more than one, which ones of those core archetypes are you going to be playing with as part of your soul curriculum as you grow and evolve over the course of your life. There are other things that come into human design and the configuration of your chart that are, are, are also different and unique. So you have, uh, in the human design system, there are five types. Each type has a different decision-making strategy, a different way of working, a different way of relating. And uh, knowing your type is probably the most fundamental part of understanding your human design and how you're uniquely configured on an energetic level. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, So once we know that, are we, excuse me, is is this a matter of learning who we are? to help us um, navigate more easily through life? Or is it a matter of um, changing aspects of ourselves that will make things better? It's actually both because you're, you know, we're all born with a certain potential. And part of what happens as we experience life is we are what we call conditioned. We learn from our family of origin, we learn from our life experiences, oftentimes to be different than who we are, right? We learn sometimes that, you know, we, we're given a very narrow definition, if you will, of what does it mean to be successful in life. We are often not only conditioned from our life experiences, we actually can bring into our life conditioning from our ancestral lineage. And our conditioning causes us to be different or to act differently than who we are inherently. So part one, or when you first get your human design chart and you first start working with human design, part one of what you start to understand is where have you been conditioned? Where have you experienced pressure or energy from others in addition to your own experiences that have caused you to forget who you were born to be? 
to forget what you're capable of or to define for yourself ultimately what's your definition of what feels good and right for you. So the first step oftentimes with human design is learning who, as I said, is learning who you're not and then learning who you were actually born to be. And, of course, unlearning the old story and integrating the new story is, yes, part and parcel remembering who you are, but it's also part of changing how you've experienced or reacted to life up until this point. So you start to learn, let's say, for example, if you get your chart and your chart shows you that you are emotionally empathic, which is about half of us. Half of us are emotional empaths of some, to some degree. Part of what happens for us was when we are emotionally empathic, we experience other people's feelings deeply. We're, you know, and, and, and we can, of course, experience it deeply on multiple levels. And some of us who are extremely emotionally empathic, you know, we may consider ourselves to be highly sensitive people. If you've ever read Elaine Aaron's work, you might be familiar with the term HSP, highly sensitive person. Usually highly sensitive people are people who are, at least to some degree, emotionally empathic. When you look at your chart and you see from your chart, hey, I'm an emotional empath, I experience the emotional energy in the room, and I experience, you know, a sensitive connection emotionally to the people in my life, part of what we start to see is that people who don't understand this about themselves have a tendency to develop relationship patterns where they avoid truth and conflict in any difficult conversations. They learn to make nice. They oftentimes give up what they want and need for the sake of keeping everybody else in the room happy because when you're emotionally empathic, it feels better to you to be in a happy room where everybody's pleased than it does to have to deal with the uncomfortable, messy experiences that happen when you have to speak your truth sometimes and nobody in the room likes it. So so learning about that, yeah, right? (laughs) And when you learn that part about yourself, when you start to go, oh, I'm designed to be emotionally empathic. I sense things. I feel things. When you understand that about yourself, then you can start to say, oh, you know what? What's also true about me is that when I have to have difficult emotional conversations, I hate it. It doesn't feel good. And I've learned as part of my behavior patterns to avoid those conversations. But when I avoid those conversations, then I get myself into relationships where I don't get what I need and want because I'm not asking, because I've learned to please, because I've learned to make everybody else happy and not me. And so the unlearning becomes learning how to understand how you operate. You can, When you understand, okay, I'm an empath, it doesn't feel great when I have to be honest about stuff sometimes, but I can start to understand that this, this feeling of, of uncomfort and discomfort from speaking my truth is not about me personally. It's not my job to please everybody. It's just my job to understand that when I have to walk into these situations, it's going to be a little more challenging for me, and that's okay. That's the nature of my design. It's not personal. And I can start to cultivate a different set of strategies around how to work with my own unique hardwiring. Does that make sense? Yes. And I really like this because, well, I work with, uh, my work is with narcissistic abuse uh, survivors. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, um, one of the issues that adult survivors of narcissistic abuse, child abuse have is that they don't know who they are. And Mm -hmm. It's a very diff- difficult thing for them to begin to see all the aspects of who they are. 
So I always go there with people. And the thing is, you know, that I feel is really important is that we need to claim every aspect of who we are. In Mm -hmm. order to feel comfortable in this world, we need to know who we are. And that's good, bad, and otherwise. You know, it's not, it's the things that are easy for us, the things that are challenging for us, the things that are quirky about us. And I think that's so important that we do know exactly who we are. And being an empath is something that I come across quite often. So you're saying like 50% of the population is empathic. Well, I come across a lot of empaths. And often mm-hmm. when I help people identify that, um, that they are empaths, it does release quite a bit from them because they realize, mm-hmm. okay, so this is why I'm this way. This is, you know, I happen to be a little more sensitive than some other people, sensitive to energy. Maybe what I'm feeling is not, Um, really what I'm feeling, maybe it's the energy around me. So I really like this because it it does all these things in one. It really helps the person to understand exactly who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think, you know, the one thing I always have to sort of throw out is that it's a great assessment tool. It's a really powerful tool to help you understand how you operate and it, it's really a great and I think an important complementary tool to the kind of work that you're doing. You know, it, it doesn't explain everything. It certainly doesn't tell you how to fix everything because I think, you know, in the work that you do, for example, I'm sure that a lot of what you deal with is trauma and trauma and healing from trauma. And, yes. you, know, the, you know, understanding, when you understand a chart, it starts to give you some key insights into where and how someone stores trauma because even the way we store and hold trauma is different and our design gives us a lot of key insights into it. So, for example, there are a couple of different places where we hold trauma in the chart. One of the places where we hold it is in an energy that I, I call this energy field in the chart integrity. And and what if you have this specific configuration in your chart, this integrity configuration, what it says is that when you experience trauma, you have a tendency to hold that trauma in five core areas or express that trauma in five core areas. You will either express it or hold it in your body, and in particular, you'll hold it in your immune system. So we see oftentimes that a lot of the emotional root cause, not the physiological root cause, but the emotional cause of uh, autoimmune disorders is oftentimes trauma that's been held and not processed or healed. So yes. you'll you'll get out of physical integrity. You'll get out of what I call resource integrity, meaning you'll start to mismanage your physical resources, including your money, uh, as a symptom of unresolved trauma. And oftentimes it's because in our culture, there's a direct relationship between self-worth and measuring self-worth by how much money you have. So sometimes when we have trauma around our value and our self-worth, we have a tendency to misuse money because we're trying to prove our value with with money. We get out of what I'll call identity integrity, meaning we, we learn that it's not safe for me to be who I am, so we hide ourselves, our authentic selves, as a way of protecting ourselves and keeping ourselves safe. We'll often get out of what I'll call moral integrity, especially if we really believe or we've learned because of trauma that we are not enough, then we we start creating in the world from a perspective of scarcity. We think I'm not enough, there isn't enough, 
And so we do things that are out of moral integrity because we feel like we have to do whatever we have to do to get our fair share because we're afraid of lack. And we get out of energetic integrity, which is, I think, actually, of all of those, is probably the biggest one. It's like when we get out of energetic integrity, we don't value ourselves enough to rest and renew and recharge. We commit energy we don't have when we try to force ourselves to bring energy to the table. And we've, you know, a lot of our value in the world is based on how much we do. And so we oftentimes will try to compensate for a lack of self-worth by overdoing and demonstrating to the world how how much we can do as a way of being perceived or being, you know, experiencing our value. So the chart will tell you, you know, where are you more likely to hold trauma and how are you more likely to express trauma? And so when we use this as an assessment tool, especially for healers and therapists and coaches, we can start to use the chart as kind of a map, if you will, to help suss out where is my client stuck and why? Because it also helps you get underneath to look at, okay, this is where they have a tendency to hold stuckness. This is a t- where they have a, where my client has a tendency to hold parts of a story that's not serving their highest good. You can start to find that, and then you can also start to get underneath it and say, okay, well, what's the motivation and driver behind the trauma being stored in this part of the body and this part of, of how they show up for life? How can we get underneath it and clear some of the root issues? Because because we hold trauma differently, you know, it impacts us differently. And having a one-size-fits-all approach to clearing trauma doesn't always work. That's very true. Um, so, so basically what you're saying is this is a tool, a diagnostic tool, to um, help us to know <clears throat> where our, um, our issues and um, difficulties and, you know, challenges really um, stem from. So that we can make them better. Sorry. Yes. I think I would change the languaging around that just a little bit. I I wouldn't call it a diagnostic tool because I think humans, you know, the complexity of the human condition is such that um, I think it's really hard to, especially when we're looking more at the energetic and the emotional and the spiritual structures underneath physical manifestations of, say, illness or behaviors. I think it's too hard to say, oh, if you have this, then you have this. Humans are terrible at being formulas. They're not good formulas. <laughs> but <laughs> I do think it's a good assessment tool. It's a good assessment, assessment tool. It's definitely going to okay. show you where to at least begin to explore. Okay. I see the difference, and I like that word better. <laughs> That's, <okay. laughs> That's good. <clears throat> where we need to explore. Um, so what's the difference between human design and quantum human design? So human, traditional human design is the language of the original system. And it is language that was specifically created to help you discover who you're not. So, um, so basically it's, it's vocabulary that teaches you the story that you've been told that you should be. And quantum human design is sort of part B of traditional human design. So Oftentimes what happens is when, when people first learn human design, they learn traditional human design. It's a great tool to help you learn where have you been conditioned, what stories are you telling yourself about who you are or who you're not. What I found over time with my clients is that events, a lot of my clients, especially because you know, I'm very fortunate in that I, um, I tend to attract clients and students who 
have already done a lot of personal growth and development work. They're, they're pretty clear about who they're not. But they've, the, you know, I started to see in my clients, especially after doing human design for about 10 years, that they were really hungry for a vocabulary that would help them create a story that they could grow into. They wanted to know not just who am I or who, am, who, who did I used to be or who am I not. They wanted to know what's the potential of who I could become. And so over the course of the last five, well, it's been 10 years now, but for about five years, I started to take apart all the vocabulary in traditional human design to look for words that were a higher expression of all the elements in human design. I actually took them, I took the language into a lab and explored which words, what language is what I'll call high frequency language. Words have different frequencies when we use high-frequency language, we actually have the capacity with good, high-quality language to open the heart, to create a state of coherence in the heart and the body, and we have the ability to actually upregulate some of our genes so we can actually affect our quality of life and our sense of well-being by using good stories, good words, and actually increase um, it actually regulates some of our epigenes or, or uh, affect our epigenes and our gene regulation. So over the course of about five years, I transitioned all of this language to higher frequency language and created, a, I'm not going to say a more evolved system because I, I think that sort of gives the idea that there's a continuum and there's better and best. And I'm not really, I don't really enjoy those metaphors anymore. I don't think there's better and best. I do think that there are changes and and different qualities of frequencies of energy. And so um, the quantum human design vocabulary is a higher frequency of energy that is a really good way to support people in rewriting their story to give them a big story and a, a verbal template, if you will, of who they can grow themselves into becoming. Okay. Sounds really, really, really amazing. Um, my question is, so, you know, we, in this world with all these um, positive thinking, manifestation, all these books and leaders and all these people who are speaking about this, basically what they're saying to us is that we all have the same potential to manifest and to be sort of whatever we want to be. What I'm hearing you say, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that that's not necessarily true, that we're going to shine in specific areas, but we're not all going to shine in the same area. Am I interpreting I, that I right? Like, I, I think that's a, a – so I, I want to flesh that out a little bit because I, I want to be really clear about that because I don't want to – I don't want to shut the door in anybody's face. So let's talk about what potential do we have. I would say we all have the potential to be vital and healthy. We all have the potential to be abundant and sufficient. We all have the potential to be loved and loving. We all have the potential to be empowered and to have agency over our own lives. We all have the potential to be authentic and to live authentically I mean, we are designed, really, when we look at the human design chart as a blueprint for the human story, we're designed to be happy, healthy, and whole. That potential lives within all of us. The, the difference is 
how are we going to achieve that potential? We all have different pathways to getting there. And I think part of the pathway for each of us individually is part of our soul curriculum. What did we come here to learn on a soul level? And each of us has a different path because we're all here to learn something different. And part of what makes us so beautiful is that we all have a unique role to play in the cosmic plan. And so, you know, how I'm going to experience abundance or how I'm going to experience success is going to be probably different than how you will or how my neighbor across the street will. And that's not less or more than. It's just unique. We're all unique. You know, the way I like to think of it is, you know, I have eight kids. In, in our house, they're all mostly grown, but in our house, when they were little, puzzles had a very short lifespan. You know, <laughs> it was a matter of minutes before either a dog or a cat ate a piece. Or I had one kid in particular who would get very frustrated and he would rip off parts of the puzzle and try to jam the wrong piece into the wrong place, you know. And, you know, I think of, I think of humanity as kind of being like that puzzle, right? You know, the puzzle is only as beautiful as a sum total of the pieces, right? If you've got a piece missing or you've got a piece that's been jammed into the wrong place and somebody tore the little nubbin off the end of it, it's going <laughs> to affect the whole piece of the puzzle. You know, we're, we're like that puzzle. And we each have, you know, our unique place to occupy in that puzzle. And when we tear off parts of ourselves and try to squish ourselves into a place where we don't fit, or we literally just go missing off the board completely, you know, it, we think, oh, it's, it's not relevant. It's, I'm just, you know, I'm just a piece of something that doesn't matter, but it actually affects the whole. And, you know, really our role, I think, in life is to find our place in the puzzle and then fill it with all of our gusto and zest and life. And when we do that, even though you might be, you know, a, a daisy and I might be a piece of grass on the puzzle, you know, our fulfilling our right place brings us into alignment then with our unique way of experiencing abundance, love, empowerment, self-worth, courage, agency, and control over our own story. And so, you know, I, I, I always kind of back away maybe a little violently about, you know, we all have potential. Yes, our potentials are different, but they're all all of us, each and every one of us is inherently valuable and inherently precious because we exist and because we are vital elements of the whole puzzle. That's so beautiful. Um, I think that, that we have a lot of tendency. People have the tendency to measure themselves against others and feel inadequate based on that. And what you just said is so important because we really need to embrace all that we are, all that we can be, and not compare it to other people. And this is a problem that is happening um, with the youth today, is that everybody wants to be the same. They all want to be rock stars. They all want to be video stars. Um, everybody wants to be a star. And <laughs> it's, you know, it really goes against who they are. They're not seeking out who they are as individuals. They're just trying to be part of, you know, this, this whole um, trend. Do you find that it's mainly more mature people that are coming for this? 
Actually, I would say in the beginning of my career, yeah, I would say in the beginning of my career, it was a lot of 48 to 52-year-old, mostly women, who were really saying, okay, I did everything I should do. Now I want to do what I want to do, and I don't even remember what that is. Um, <laughs> I would say that in the last five years, the audience has changed a lot, and I would say that I actually see a lot of young people coming in. I think mm. that the, the younger generation is really sensing, you know, I, I can't do this this way anymore. I can't, you know, I can't just go get a job if the job itself isn't working for me. I can't just go do the hustle and grind to get ahead if it's causing me to compromise on the quality of my life and even my health and wellness. You know, I, I think at the heart of it, underneath it all, you know, I think there's a real call on a planetary level for us to explore the concept of sustainability. And I think I think that the, certainly the millennial generation, as I said, you know, I have eight kids. One is 12, and the others are all 24 to 32 years in age, so they're a little bit older. And, you know, I, I'm watching these kids and their friends and, of course, my own kids, and, you know, they're, they're really wanting to live sustainably, and I think in order for them to live sustainably, they themselves have to be sustainable. You know, when you are burned out, which is the opposite of sustainable, and I would say we have a burnout epidemic on this planet, and certainly, you know, in the Western world, we have a, a big, um, you know, a big epidemic of, uh, you know, burnout, that burnout is a symptom of not living sustainably. And if we if we take a bigger step back from that and we look at that, you know, you can't you can't live inauthentically and be sustainable because part of what happens is if you're trying to be someone you're not or you're trying to work in a way that's not right for you or you're trying to do something that you hate, if you're saying yes when you want to say no, if you say no when you want to say yes, it actually takes extra energy to maintain a facade and to be something you're not than it does to be authentic. And so I think these kids who, you know, really kind of unfairly, I think, are probably going to be tasked with fixing this world, you know, these kids are really dialed into, hey, I can't, we can't do it the old way anymore. We can't compromise and burn ourselves out pushing and hustling because if we do, then every decision we make from that point is not going to be sustainable. Think about it. If we're burned mm. out, if you're exhausted, you know, at the end of the day, if you're exhausted, are you going to make good choices or are you going to call Grubhub or go to the local, you know, whatever the fast food place is because you're too tired to fix dinner, right? Are you going to make those difficult choices that say, you know, I'm not going to shop here because they have too much plastic and everything that they sell is in plastic. I'm going to go to my local co-op and bring all my containers with me and you know, get my stuff in bulk because it's, it's got less impact on the planet. When we're tired and burned out, we always go for the, you know, the quick fix because we don't have the energy to do the sustainable thing. So there, there's something about these kids that I, on some level that I think they really get it. They really get, like, we can't live like this anymore. And so I think they're more drawn to human design in greater numbers because it does give them some insights into how do they live authentically, and consequently, how do they build a life that's more sustainable for themselves on every level? Hmm. What a what an amazing explanation. 
Thank you. I like that. I really, I really, that does make a lot of sense to me. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's, it's throwing some of these millennials off though. You know, this, this whole um, need to not be cookie cutter and to, to, um, to be sustainable or to create a life that's sustainable. Um, sometimes it, because this is sort of a transitional time, some mm-hmm. of these kids are getting lost in this because they don't want to do it the old way, but they don't know the new way, which is why what you do is so important. It's so important I, I that totally they know about this. I agree with you. I, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I think we're in a cycle right now collectively on the planet. It's a it's a massive cycle of disruption, and it's an it's a necessary cycle of disruption. It's painful and it's hard, but you know we're really collectively saying, wait, hold up, none of this is working anymore. We we've got an economy that's heavily weighted towards you know a a, a certain very small percentage of people who are profiting from it, and everybody else is struggling. We've got a world where the resources are not being used sustainably because everybody's operating from a mindset of scarcity. We've got, you know, basically I think a crisis, if you will, a global crisis of value. We don't see our own value, so it's very hard for us to see the value of other human beings. And, you know, that that's a really dark place to make decisions from. And, you know, as this narrative of value and self-worth gets disrupted, which I think it is, it's really kicking us out into where exactly where I think you just said these kids are. They're in a void. They're sort of saying, okay, we can't go back and do things the old way. We can't go back to where we were before, but we don't know where we're headed. And I think part of what's happening is, you know, we're, we're, we have been so deeply trained that if you want to make something happen, you've got to go do the work. You've got to move the mud. And I think as we move into this, new way of thinking and this new way of being in the world, you know, before we can do the work, we have to get our consciousness lined up. And I think, you know, that's a skill set. And I think it's a skill set that a lot of people don't have yet. I mean, I think you and I and probably your listeners, we're all in kind of a bubble. You know, we all, maybe some of you watched the movie, The Secret, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're aware of things like how do you manifest and mindset and envisioning and goal you know, intention setting, these are all, I think, probably common skill sets that we all have. But the reality of it is a lot of the world doesn't have this skill set yet. We're growing. I think if you look at where we are now in 20, you know, was this 2022 <laughs> compared to where we were in 2005, there's been a massive, I think, uprising in, in, in consciousness growth and people, people bringing new ideas and thoughts into the into the world that we're not so you know we're pretty edgy in 2005 i mean i think you're probably i don't know how old you are randy and i don't want to make assumptions but you know when when the movie the secret came out and i think it was 2005 you know the term manifesting was not a common term you know people didn't talk about that and now it's like they're doing it on tv you know or you know i don't watch tv that much but i do see people using terminology that i'm like wow this is huge you know this is a big change and i think as we move into this evolution of consciousness that we're right smack dab in the middle of 
you know, the ability to engineer for ourselves a path out of this sort of uncertainty and this void that we're in is going to get more and more clear. And I do think the kids get it. They don't know all of it yet, but they sense it. And I do think that on a certain level, they're going to be the ones that are going to say, well, hold up. If we want world peace, we need to start first by imagining what's that going to look like. And, you know, if we want to live mm-hmm. sustainably, well, we have to start first with a dream of, okay, what does a sustainable world look like? And I think we tend to, at least my generation tends to be like, oh, these millennials, they don't want to work for anything. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is I think they actually are saying, yeah, we do, but it has to be aligned first. And we're trying to find the alignment. And that feels really elusive to us right now. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, as somebody who, I mean, I've been around a long time, <laughs> but um <laughs> Um, I used to have, my husband and I used to have businesses where, you know, we had to hire a lot of young people and um, the work ethic is so different, you know. And so, yeah, it's very, very easy to fall into that pattern of saying, oh, those millennials, are, <laughs> they're lazy and they don't want to work. But <laughs> um, well, because I, that was our experience. I, I, totally. And I think, you know, I, I keep getting my mind blown on a regular basis. Like we had a conversation at our dinner table the other night and my my 25-year-old who's married and, and has an executive position at, at the Kroger Corporation, so she's not a slacker by any definition, right? She has her own house. She's bought her own house. She's, like, living the dream, right? And she said, I think this whole idea of growth is ridiculous. And I'm like, what? And she says, she says why should I be pushed in my job to go beyond my capacity just because I'm good at things over here and, and eventually be pushed to a point where my lifestyle is threatened. I'm so stressed. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm having to work beyond my 40 hours a week. I don't get to be with my husband. I don't get to be with my friends. I can't relax. I'm stressed. I, you know, why should I push myself to that point? What's the merit in that? And I'm like, yeah, actually, that's a brilliant thought. <laughs> you know, that's true. <laughs> why have we, why has my generation accepted that that's the norm? Because that's really not healthy. And and yet we sort of expect that, you know, we, we have this whole mythology around work ethic. And, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, I'm even a little bit uncomfortable in categorizing people in, in by generations because I think even, you know, everybody's different. But I do think that, you know, all of this is sort of up for redefinition. The quality of life and well-being as the metric of success in this modern era versus money is an important thing for us to pay attention to. If we're, if we redefine success and we take the numbers off of it and we stop saying, oh, success is this bra size, this pant size, this number of years of college education, this number of, of zeros in your bank account. If we take all the numbers out of the metric for success and we start saying, okay, what is success? What if success is you feel joyful, you have a deep connection to source, you're aligned with your purpose, your relationships are honoring and respectful and bring you love and succor and support, that you are choosing a lifestyle that, you know, gives you ample time for creative self-expression and contribution and community. You know, how is that not the definition of success? And, and if we have one at cost to the other, then we're not going to be sustainable. And I think that's really what these kids are, again, they're saying, we can't, you know, I'd much rather, 
I'd much rather have my best friend couch surfing in my living room and all of us getting together and eating pasta and being happy than having a lifestyle where I don't even have time to see my friends, right? And that's so true. And that's what, you know, that's the rat race that we've been in. You know, what your daughter was saying, and this, this will probably age me, um, it sounds like, the, <laughs> do you remember the Peter Principle years ago? Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. exactly. Where we tend to get promoted beyond our um, our capability just because we're moving up the line and, and that, you know, at some point we're not effective anymore. And, and, but I like what she's saying because she's not happy. And my daughter has actually said the same thing. She's uh, works for a big company and they keep promoting her and promoting her and promoting her. And she just really wants to do the work. She doesn't want to be the management, you know? Um, right. But, right. But, Right. But she, but that's the promotion. And she says, you know, I'm really not, I don't want to do that. I don't want, I could be, you know, the president of the company already, but that's not what I want to do. So, um, yeah, I think they, they are definitely more aware of that, you know, the work-life balance and being, and, and, and really what fulfills them that not making their career, their entire fulfillment of life. So uh, very interesting, very interesting conversation. Um, so let me just look at your notes here. My notes here. Okay. Um, what is the quantum potential of money? Do we all have the same potential to make money? Or is that different for each of us? I think it's definitely different for each of us. And I think when we talk about the quantum potential of money, I think what that's really, what I'm really talking about is we have to redefine the, the exchange of value in our, in our success model, if you will. And that it kind of goes back to what you and I were just talking about that, you know, if we look at money as the metric and we say this is more valuable because it has X number of zeros behind it versus defining money as what's necessary to create an exchange of value that creates sustainable living and we start valuing the sustainability versus the numbers then we have a different we have a different measurement and a different definition for what money is you know and and really i think money's a very interesting i mean i could talk about you know hours about money but i just again you and i sound like we both have enough uh enough experience on the path of life to have a, a long-term, you know, retrospective here, you know, yes. think about money at this point. How much, how much do you actually connect with cash at this point in your life? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you like how much, how, how much, much do you do actually I... use cash? Cash? Very rarely. I yeah. almost, I, I hardly ever carry it. I don't think any of us carry. I don't even think we write checks anymore. I, and sometimes no. you, when you sit down, and I sit down and I'm like, okay, I'm going to manage my money. I'm basically moving things around on a computer screen. It's like, and it's sort of this theoretical construct. <laughs> Do I really, I mean, probably, hopefully, if I go to the bank and I withdraw it, they'll give me cash. But, but it's sort of this, you know, it's like I use a plastic thing or I use my phone and, uh, you know, and then I'm moving money around on the computer screen, and it's not, you know, what is money? It's like the definition itself of money is changing, right? The way we experience money is changing. It's definitely totally. 
less and less material. And I think, you know, when we start to look at, okay, well, what's the quantum definition of money? You know, I think what it really is is the manifestation of your self-worth in form. And, and that self-worth is not, you know, I really want to take, I really want to be really careful of how I say this because I'm not saying X amount of self-worth equals X amount of money. What I want to say is that the more we embody our self-worth, the more we embody enoughness, I am enough, the more we create enoughness in our lives, including in our finances, but not always just our finances. It means we let ourselves be, we let ourselves co-create, if you will, a quality of life that is a reflection of our value. And that can happen not just with money, but in lots of other interesting and intangible ways, too. It's it's the serendipity of, hey, my neighbor just grew a bunch of extra tomatoes and they're bringing it over to share. Or, you know, the, the invitation that you get to go to a, a show because, you know, somebody who you knew had a date and they couldn't make it and so they didn't want to go, they give you the tickets and they they they... They don't make you pay for it. It's just a magical event that happens, right? There's the the whole idea of money, I think, is changing. And I think, again, going back to my my point that I made a little bit ago, you know, the the metric of success and the and using money as a metric of success is changing dramatically. And I think the more that that changes the more we're going to move into a consciousness that's going to facilitate for us creating for ourselves and ultimately for each other higher states of well-being that will be the new definition, if you will, of success. That being successful will mean you're happy, you're healthy, you're vital, you're loved, you're loving, you're contributing, you're in alignment with your purpose. The work you do makes a difference in people's lives in some way. And and you have time for rest and renewal and to live the priorities of your heart. That is exactly right. Can we all live like that? I, I, I believe so. I don't know how, but I'm definitely in the phase <laughs> of my life where that's my daily dream. I right. dream of a world where we all live like that for sure. Right, right. Exactly. There, you know, a lot has to shift and change, but I love that ideal. And I think that we are shifting into that. I mean, I know, I know there's a major, major energetic and spiritual shift going on right now. So, um, you know, everything is going to be changing and it feels a little bit upside down for, for me because it's so, the world is so different than it used to be, but the, the core values that you're talking about, never, never change. And I agree with you. That's where I want to be. I want to be comfortable. I don't need to have a whole lot. I just, I want to have what I need. That's it. And be happy and do good work and, you know, and be able to have time for myself and all the things that you mentioned. I mean, you really listed all of them. So I agree with you. Um, So Karen, as we come down to the end of the show, is there anything else that you want to bring up about, the work that you do or how someone might work with you? Um, I would say, I I would say I want to encourage everyone to go get your human design chart to, to go take a peek at the blueprint of how you were created and a blue, the blueprint of who you were born to be. Because I think, especially at this time, as we, 
move through you know, this cycle of disruption that we're in, that it's imperative that you start to construct for yourself a due north on the compass of your life path. And that due north is it really begins with having a good, strong, clear understanding of who you are and who you are meant to be. And so I would invite people to go. It's very easy to do it. You need to have your birthday, birth time, and birthplace. And if you go to my website, freehumandesigncharts.com, you can go there run your chart and uh, I'll send you with that chart a nice little ebook that you can go through and start understanding your chart so you can get a better sense of of who you are and what you came here to do with your life. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We can all do that. Um so then at what level would someone work with you? So I I basically teach right now. So if somebody's interested in learning about using human design as a tool, you certainly can go to our website, quantumalignmentsystem.com, and learn about uh, our professional offerings that we have. On that website, there is also a listing of some of the professionals that I've trained, either quantum human design specialists and quantum alignment system specialists. If you're interested in going deeper and learning more about your chart, Go there, find a practitioner you really resonate with, and book a session. And I, you know, I can't, I can't stress strongly enough what a, a gift that is to give yourself, and what a powerful way to to get you the support that you might need to really learn how to live true to who you are. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, so. Um... Would we find a practitioner through your site, or where would we go to find a practitioner that could take help us take it to the next level of understanding? Yeah, if if you go to quantumalignmentsystem.com, uh, up at the top there's a tab that'll tell you where you can. Uh, there's a whole page of of different certified practitioners. You can go there, and I always tell people go look at their pictures and just you know trust your intuition about who you should choose and who you think would be a good person for you to work with. Yeah, that's a good. That's a great way. I I always do things by intuition. I always do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a great great um, recommendation. Okay. Wow. Well, I had no idea what we were going to be talking about today, but I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. I think this is awesome. I think this is awesome. That's and why it I really like starting is... off without a plan. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, you know, it's the shows that I do where I really have no idea what I'm going to be talking about that really turn out the best. So, um, and this was really great. We had a great, great conversation. Um, so thank you. I really appreciate you being my guest today and, and sharing this um, amazing tool with us. Um, it's, it really is. I mean, I've had my natal chart done. And I know how involved that can be if somebody really does it um, deeply, mm-hmm. you know, but this just incorporates so many other things into it. So we should all know our, our human design. So I yeah, thank you, Karen. I uh, yeah. I thank you, <laughs> thank Karen. You, it's really, been really, really a pleasure. It. Okay. You too. Already. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions, We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com. R-A-N- we hope you enjoyed today's show. 
Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive